Welcome to episode 114 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samples. Ever have too many good ideas and you're not sure which one to go with? If you're an entrepreneur, this is an all too familiar experience, especially when you're still trying to figure out what your business is all about and who your ideal client is. Perhaps you've even been trained in a number of different aspects of your business. You've taken courses or had coaches teach you how to run masterminds, host a podcast, write a book, speak on bigger stages, create an online course. Where do you begin? You don't really want to choose You want to do all the things. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you can't move forward three or four projects at once in any significant way. That's not going to get you the traction you need to grow your business. I've been asked how I've accomplished so much in my business while focused also on raising a family. I stack my successes. Each quarter of the year, I have one major and two minor goals. Minor goals often set up major goals later in the year. I focus on working to completion for one major project before moving on to another one. And if I run into trouble with one of my goals, I will learn more about what's getting in my way by having this focused effort for a particular amount of time. That way, if I need to change tactics or abort altogether, I can do so more quickly and get back on track instead of incrementally moving ahead and never knowing whether I'm on the right track at all. Your challenge for this week. Look ahead at 2019. What do you want to accomplish before 2020? Now, think about three or four big goals, the ones that will take concerted effort to be successful. For example, launching a new website, writing a book, creating a membership community, or piloting a multi-day retreat are all examples of major goals. Consider which one of these would be the best foundation for the others to be successful. That is your major goal for Q1 2019. Strategically order the remaining goals, considering how content from one might be useful for a later project. For instance, creating a video series would also give you a head start on a book about the same topic. Minor goals do not require as much time or effort, but are definitely still crucial to the health of your business. For example, update your website content to reflect changes in your business, run a report on your website, and spend time fixing broken links and improving your SEO. Research ideas for a book and schedule interviews with ideal readers to get their suggestions for what to write about. Increase your email list with a focus on engagement. These are all examples of minor goals that don't take quite as much time and effort as a major goal. Have at least one minor goal per quarter and not more than three. Write this all out by the end of this October and you'll be going into 2019 with a serious plan to grow your business. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest's mission is to gently eradicate small talk from the planet. He is the co-founder and chief experience officer of WE, an organization whose mission is to create conversations that matter. Leaders call him when they want to amplify connection, belonging, and trust within their organizations. He created WE Connect Cards, a tool being used in 50 plus countries to build stronger connections. He has spoken at TEDx, is the author of The Pocket Guide to Facilitating Human Connections, and with his business partner, wrote, ask powerful questions, create conversations that matter. 
He has led workshops, trainings, and interactive keynotes for a wide array of companies, including JetBlue, Starbucks, Johnson & Johnson, Penn State, and Goodwill. Please join me in welcoming Chad Littlefield. Thank you. Let's have a conversation that matters. Chad, thanks so much for joining me from your office in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm super excited to have you on here. Um, let's just jump right in. This is a show about podcasts, uh, a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Yeah, I have a sense that we could both really nerd out over this question and unpack it in super complexity. But my most simple perspective of leadership is being able to create some possibility that otherwise would not have happened without you. Ooh, I like it. So for me, when I realized that um, I could lead was when I learned how to ask because um, I didn't need to be the expert or have all the answers, um, but I could create new possibilities that otherwise would never have happened, new connections, new conversations, new opportunities for people. Um, just through my curiosity and the questions mm. that I ask people. That's cool. So that's not a, probably an understanding of leadership you've had all your life. Where, where, where do you think you first got the inkling of that as a, as a definition? I know for sure that the definition, uh, my business partner now, Will Wise, um, when I met him, I met him in a way where I walked into a room and there was 20 people sitting in a circle and it was this... Um, training in how to ask powerful questions that Will was hosting. And I walked in and uh, Will, this is the first time this group of 20 people had ever seen each other. And Will started the session in 60 seconds of silence. And then he looked around and he asked, uh, looked at everybody's eyes and asked, are you ready? Are you ready for your life to change? And in this moment, I'm like, got some doubt creeping up. Like, what is this guy doing right uh-huh. now? Um, and then he, he took it a step further, got up and opened the door. And he said, um, because if your answer is no to that question, um, it would be best for you to exit now because wow. it's going to be impossible that you stay in this space for the next three hours and the next uh, 15 weeks and not have your life shift and have your perspective shift in the world. And so that promise definitely came true. And I think that definition of leadership of creating a new possibility that otherwise would not have happened um, came as, as a result somewhere weaved into that whole experience um, with Will, that first touch point with Will. So what were your first experiences with leadership, though, before you had this expansive definition of leadership that I love how it sort of also it's an action. It's, it's something that you, you're, um, you're putting energy into this relationship and there's an outcome that comes of it that wouldn't have come of it if you hadn't put that energy in. But before you had that sort of understanding, what are your earliest memories of what leadership is? And like, what kind of kid were you? Were you the kid who organized, you know, like everyone on the playground? Did you run for formal office titles? Were you like the class clown, the shy kid hiding in the corner? Like, who, who were you, Chad? <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> um, I was actually the class clown and so is my wife, uh, or so was my wife. Um, and, uh, when I got, so ironically, uh, and completely unrelated to being class clown, if you've ever seen the movie patch Adams mm-hmm. with Robin Williams, where he becomes a doctor to really promote the quality of life over quantity. I saw that movie when I was a uh, little guy and I had my whole life 
figured out. I was going to be Patch Adams, go to med school, become a pediatrician, and really exemplify who Patch Adams was and the way that he would had this just magical ability to empathize and heal people through human connection. Um, and then I got to Penn State and took a chemistry class and was like, oh, 12 <laughs> more years of this. Hmm, this might not work out so well. Um, and so the what, what I realized was I didn't want to uh, hold a scalpel, but I still very much wanted to heal the world through connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny if you look at, um, I know recently on your uh, podcast, you talked with Michael Stollard, who talks a lot about um, even the Surgeon General coming out and saying that uh, connection is one of the, or social isolation is one of the biggest health risks mm-hmm. facing, especially uh, folks in the US. But as a result of that and um, recognizing, whoa, my whole plan of being a doctor fell apart, I ended up actually starting a student organization called the Clown Nose Club, which had nothing to do with being a clown or anything like that. But the, the mission was to stretch ourselves and others to take positive social risks. So that phrase, um, you know, I started this because mostly I hopped into a school as someone who tends to be very extroverted. I was fully excited to get to college and see 40,000 strangers until I got there and was like, whoa, I just left this community of people who love me, who I love, who support me. And I'm now in this place where nobody knows me. Nobody has any context. Like there's all of this re-getting to know, re-relationship building. And then on top of that, the dynamic was everybody was like needed to kind of uh, play it cool. And so like you would eat lunch alone way before you'd ever even think about sitting down next to somebody else who was eating lunch alone. And that was just the the dynamic in the first couple weeks of college. And so I, I knew I wanted to create a dent in that. So my first semester at college started the student organization, which ended up gaining attention of um, admin and scaling and spreading to a handful of other schools. And it was, there's a chapter in Hong Kong now and wow. all this stuff that like never would have expected. But I think that from a, um, to your question of who was I as a kid or as a um, leader, like it was always from that um, looking at leadership from a very relational perspective, a yeah. human perspective. And I know there are other dynamics um, to leadership, but the the niche and what I get really excited about and focus on is that relational and conversational component of leadership. And what's great is that you had an opportunity to do a TEDx on this particular topic, and yeah. which is really great. And also a little out of the box that people have seen a lot of other people speak on a TED or TEDx stage. You actually use the whole stage. <laughs> I did. Most people stand in that little tiny red dot like they're glued there. And you were like, I'm going to have to demonstrate this to you visually. So please, folks, go to the show notes, check out the TEDx that I did, um, positive social interactions. Um, and it's really fun because it's, it's just a really great way of thinking about like, what does it take to get out of your own comfort zone um, and say hello to the people near you, which, which is something that I believe in too. Um, I'm always the person at conferences who you know, turns towards people in the elevator and, <laughs> instead of facing the door. I'm like, we're all at a conference. Like, this is the perfect space to say hello. Um, and, and then, of course, I end up talking to someone who's not even part of the conference. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, oh, all right, that's cool, too. Like, <laughs> you know, you're standing here, so I guess I'm engaging. Um, well, there's, but there, and there's, and, and in you doing that, right, Robbie, there's 
inherent social risk um, in you doing that. It's possible that that person in the elevator is like coming from a funeral and your joyful question is going to like hit them at the wrong time. But, but part of that uh, framing in TEDx is that I think in, in general, by and large, in most contexts, our social risk, our perceived risk is way higher than the actual risk. Mm -hmm. So we build up in our heads like, well, I can't, I couldn't talk to somebody at a bus stop. Like this isn't how it works. Like I, like you're in Boston and in fact, share a story in the um, TED talk about being in Boston, which is ironic because this is where you are. Um, but being on this kind of cold Boston bus and looking down and seeing this guy's hat that on the on top of his Amazing. hat, he just had a logo. Yeah, yeah, the Jason uh, project, right? There you go. You still remember it. Um, <laughs> it's memorable. And and the fact that he lit up, like after he was quizzically looking at you, like, dude, why are you interrupting my like quiet, you know, moment? He suddenly was like, wait, I can talk about that. I love that. You know, I think that's the thing that most people are looking for openings. They're they're like, I think most people want more connection they have. The CDC did do that study about isolation and how harmful it's it is to us in the US. And then the opposite of that would be more connection. But most people really are afraid of that risk. So you're, you're showing leadership in a really profound way because you're emboldening other people to follow your lead and be leaders themselves. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to think that was true too. And I think one of the, um, just as, as I've honed my own way of, um, way of leadership, I found myself saying a couple phrases over and over again that I think probably relate to that now embedded philosophy of leadership. And one of them is whenever I'm uh, getting up and speaking to a group, facilitating a workshop, um, giving an interactive keynote, I'll say something along the lines of, I invite from this moment forward, I'm inviting you to ruthlessly misinterpret everything that I say and do and apply it to your own context. And uh, I think that there's a certain, for me, one of the reasons I share that is there's a certain humility that like, I don't understand everybody's world as, as well as they do. And so I'm not, I can't, I'm never going to try to stand up and like give advice, which is part of the reason I love the perspective of um, leading with questions, not leading questions, but leading through your questions and your curiosity, not yeah. your, like statements, beliefs, and um, right ideology, which is all great to have, um, but it might not fit where people are at in the moment that they're in. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an amazing humility and it's, you must be familiar with the concept Sonder. Mm. This is where you have to recognize that all the people who are moving past you in the street have the lives of their own. Yes. It's in, it's in an encyclopedia of words this guy created um, and he did a TEDx about it. And Sonder is the, the word that I feel like has emerged into the lexicon. I feel like it's come up three or four times in this show. And you just saying that, like, I don't know what's going on in your world. Like that, even that awareness is going to help you relate to other people, that curiosity and empathy you might have with somebody about what's going on in the world and still the willingness to risk and in a connection. There's a, in terms of risking that connection and sonder or sondering, I guess is the uh, <laughs> verb form. Um, there's a book called Anatomy of Peace that is, I think, probably before that micro definition of sonder uh, came out. This idea of um, seeing people as people as opposed to objects that get in our way 
And it's very easy in a world with what are we at? Like seven, eight billion people or so on the planet. It's very easy to turn people into objects that are just like on our way or on the stage of me, as opposed to that being able to sun and really recognize that when you hop into New York City and Times Square and you look around, every single one of those people has some family tie, they have some stress, they have some challenge, they have some dream, they have some, and when you are able to recognize that, it's not that you need to go then have a conversation about everybody's aspirations with them in Times Square, it's it's not feasible, but just recognizing that I think changes who you are in the world and definitely who you are as a leader and Mm. looking in your organization, seeing everybody as if they have their own world that is and in particular, Anatomy Peace describes it as equally as important as your own. Mm. There's a distinction there. I love this. I, I actually makes me think of a book I just listened to uh, called The Opposite of Hate by Sally Khan, K-O-H-N. And um, I, it was such a moving uh, book. It was like a seven hour audio book. And it was like, she's such a good, she narrated her own book and it was so well done. It was like listening to this amazing never ending podcast (laughs) that just kept going. And the stories she told in there were really about these extremes of what you're talking about where, you know, uh, and and this this is the last book that made me cry since Old Yeller. Like this is (laughs) like, I don't cry at a lot of books, (laughs) but like this book made me cry. But she was talking about like the survivors of the Rwanda genocide who were like, a guy's married to the daughter of the man who killed his family and forgave the father-in-law. Whoa. I um, can't see right now. My eyes are huge. <laughs> like, wow. Like that. Yeah, um, and she actually starts the book talking about, um, she was on Fox as a liberal voice and then moved to CNN and got, a, when she was at Fox, she had just like tons of like hateful messages sent to her via Twitter by what she was, you know, calling trolls, what we all would call trolls, until she realized how that dehumanized them and that they were people. And so she got really curious about this because she was also forming relationships with people who were also um, hosts of shows on Fox who, you know, like Sean Hannity and her were friends, like even though they uh, ideologically were as far apart as you can be, but they were friends. They knew each other's lives and they were supporting each other as humans. And she was like, but how is that happening and possible? But yet these people are like sending me these messages that are just so painful. So she actually reached out to them. She reached out to her quote trolls and got some on the phone and some via back and forth messaging. And a lot of them basically, basically came down to, they didn't see her as a human being on the other end of their message. Um, they were bored. Some of them were messaging to, out of boredom. Like uh, they were frustrated about other parts of their life. And so they were like having some control over what they were doing in this medium that felt anonymous and powerful. And they were all very sorry. And none of them thought what they were doing was hateful. And so they didn't feel like they had hate and they didn't think what they were doing is hateful. And it was striking her at her heart. You like, so she was like, trying to understand their motivation. And it was so profound. Like if we could just sort of relate to each other and realize their lives are just as meaningful as ours, like that, what you just said would lead to such more engaging. I think you're going to love this book. And I'm sure you call me up when it makes you cry. Cause well, I need to, I need to <laughs> check it out because the, my version of opposite of hate and part of the context that I actually met Will, my current uh, business partner, was working for an organization called World in Conversation. And the entire mission of the organization is to get small groups of people. So picture eight to 10 people 
sitting in a circle down in a um, conversation for 90 minutes, strangers, um, to talk about really fuzzy subjects like race, gender, politics, (laughs) long-term conflict, fuzzy. Um, And then the sole intention is to better understand the other. And so through that um, work, I worked there for five years and every conversation that we'd have, we had what was called a green sheet. And it was a little blank sheet that you wrote everybody's name in the circle on as you were facilitating the dialogue because they're always facilitated by um, ideally a either different genders, depending on the conversation, different genders or uh, one white person and one person of color. Um, and uh, in those conversations, especially particularly race dialogues, we'd write down everybody's names, we'd have these green sheets. When I left World in Conversation, I had saved, and I don't know why, but I had saved all these green sheets and I had uh, talked about sondering. I counted them up as a way of just kind of like, you know, transitioning out of that uh, work. And there was 500 green sheets, all with eight to 10 different people's names on them from conversations that I had uh, led. And so, and what I saw though was in every one, single one of those conversations was I saw the opposite of hate. I mm-hmm. saw somebody who, you know, I still remember a dialogue where there was um, somebody who came into the conversation from uh, rural South Carolina, who was in the KKK and somebody who grew up African-American in the Bronx and they're in the same conversation and seeing a moment where they actually looked at each other and said, holy smokes, like your mom and your dad said the same thing to me, mm-hmm. which was, hey, you've got to watch out for people who are black. Hey, you've got to watch out for people who are white. And mm-hmm. like there, there's finding that um, sameness in the midst of what seems like such a difference. I feel like it mm-hmm. probably accesses some level of the, the opposite of hate. That's cool. Yeah. And what a what a great program to be part of and how much it must influence you. I want to actually, I want to shift gears a little bit, Chad, just to talk about what you're doing today. And I don't, rather than just have you give me your elevator pitch, which I'm sure is very good. um, (laughs) What do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today? Oh, this is, this is an easy answer because it's uh, fresh. So I travel a lot um, to work with clients. So whether I'm at a conference or actually my office is other people's offices uh, other companies' offices. And so um, recently I was at a conference in Boston and uh, um, created these cards called We Connect cards that have 60 questions to really create, like skip the small talk and create, build relationships of trust rather than just like icebreaker small chat stuff. And so I was leading this exercise at this conference uh, with 150 people and uh, everybody had a card. They'd have the conversation, swap cards, and then continue on. I paired up with this one woman who was from a, a place in the Caribbean. I'll leave her name anonymous. And her answer to the question that I asked um, just really struck me. Like she just had power in uh, her voice. And so I was really in a place of just wanting to listen to understand, even though I had a million things going on in my mind of like, what am I going to do next? And all, you know, all this stuff going on. Just really took a moment to be really present with her and ask her, Um, or respond to her by just affirming and saying, um, you have an immense power in the way that you speak. And this was just like the affirmation that came out very genuine. She came out to me at the end of the conference and uh, um, came over to me and said, Chad, you have no idea, but through what you said to me in the very beginning of our time together, you have broken decades of oppression 
in me and and the perspective that I've had of my own voice. And I still have no idea like the full context of that. Um, But I think to see moments of change, like deep moments of connection, even though we had just met. um, And I think this is a, a misnomer that we have to know somebody for 10 years to build a relationship of trust with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, I think, I mean, my job is accelerating that process. Um, and then there's a very particular way that I like to do that an environment that I like to create that to really mm-hmm. amplify and make things psychologically safe. Yeah. But that's one. And then, you know, hearing things like, um, I feel like I connected more with the people at this conference in three days than I have with employees I've worked with for two to five years. Like that is a hugely rewarding affirmation to receive as I'm on this mission to gently eradicate small talk and yeah. conversation connection. Well, those uh, that tool sounds so powerful. And um, I know that people say they want more connection, but have you also felt some people when given the right tools still feel resistant to doing it? Like, People want something, but they say, but they think it's not actually possible. And so when you're like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Here's the deck of cards to follow. Let's just jump in. And they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. That sounds awful. <laughs> well, I so honoring but honoring that and honoring that every, you know, if I'm really living out the mentality that I'm not the expert, that everybody else is the expert of their own experience. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that I make that real and not just like a thing that sounds nice is really uh, actively pushing this um, idea of challenge by choice, which is not an idea that I created. Um, But when I'm framing an exercise or I'm going to invite people to, you know, pair up and ask questions like, what is life teaching you right now? Uh, For Mm -hmm. example, like to a stranger, Mm -hmm. um, I'm framing choice. So one, the card deck is, is separated into different categories. So green questions tend to be fun and light. Purple questions encourage some level of self-reflection. I have some framing around really making introverts feel welcome in this experience. Mm-hmm. And then blue questions tend to be a little bit deeper. So on a superficial level, level, if somebody's coming at you with a blue card and you're not in a blue card kind of mood, you can like duck and cover and uh, head somewhere else. Got it. But on a deeper level of choice, and one of the reasons I love questions is you think about um, like if you were to go to an Airbnb, you get the key or you punch in the key code. Airbnb, the company actually calls this moment, the moment of truth that for the, the renter, um, when they are opening the door, there's this like, is it going to look like the pictures? Is there going to be a crazy dog that's going to jump out at me? There's all this uncertainty. And that same moment of truth happens with people, except with questions. If I ask you, Robbie, what is life teaching you right now? Mm -hmm. You can answer that question at a level of like, Ah, it's kind of hot in the studio right now. I probably should have like worn a different shirt. And you could also answer something that's really real for you. And <laughs> both of those would be true. Um, and so f- when you frame that, ch- give people that challenge by choice, 95% of the time they pick the challenge and, or the more challenging, the more uh, vulnerable way. Yeah. And the vulnerability is, is probably demonstrated also by you. It, like it's like, sort of like when people go around in a circle introducing themselves. If you don't control the first three responses, answering the format that you want them to do, like you completely lost that circle. It'll go. You don't know which direction's going to go. But if you like give them like here are the two questions and or like your name and these two questions, your pronoun, whatever it is. If you get those first three people to follow it, generally it'll follow around. If one person completely changes it, 
you still have to rein it back in for everyone else or else <laughs> everybody after that has permission to go like three minutes instead of 30 seconds. So I imagine you have to demonstrate the vulnerability yourself. Um, so do you must, do you, does it feel as vulnerable if you've said the same thing to crowds over and over again? Like your own, you, the, the, the stories yeah, sure. you tell that help people think, wow, okay, man, Chad went really deep. And you're like, okay, here's the story I've told <laughs> hundreds of times. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I'm pretty mindful of that. Um, there are some stories that are so real, so raw for me that I could tell them a million times in the same way that I could tell like eat, you know, 10 friends, one to like one-on-one and it wouldn't get any less real for me. Mm -hmm. So there's some of those stories that feel like that, but most of the time, if I'm especially in a, um, speaking a keynote setting, I'm pretty deliberate about empathizing with who am I talking to and coming up with stories that are fresh, ideally recent and ones that they'll be able to relate to um, more. So I try to not be the um, broken record. And there are some stories that are just like so juicy that are so uh, real for me. Like there's one about the uh, girl with lots of tattoos that I tell over and over. And I could happily tell that over and over again because it's like I'm transported back to that scenario every single time. So uh, I want to actually talk about the the sort of networking relationship piece of this as far as like staying in touch because you seem to be a person who acquires connections all the time because you're always looking for them, right? Like you're you're not like done meeting people or some people are like, I met my five friends in high school. I'm good. <laughs> and you're like, no way. Like I haven't met five people yet this morning. I got to keep looking. So <laughs> What are your habits or practices or systems for staying in touch, not with your close friends, but like that second and third tier out, the kind of people that you meet at a conference, you really hit it off with, you know, former clients that you're no longer have a reason to work with, but you're like, I really like them. Like what's, what's keeping you in contact with those folks? Yeah, I'll give you, I'll start off with like a just incredibly concrete, tactical uh, answer to that question. And then uh, maybe a more generally applicable uh, mindset that I approach. So the tactical one um, to kick off, Will and I have started using a um, platform called bombbomb.com. And uh, it allows you to send really easily send video messages through email. And it creates a little uh, GIF of the first three seconds of your video. And so um, I just got back from this conference in San Francisco and, you know, 10, 20 people came up to me after and like, holy smokes, can we talk after? Gave me a card. And so I knew that I gave them a card, but I, like, I don't expect other people to follow up ever usually um, because they've got lives and stuff going on. So I'll reach out to them and I'll send them a video and I'll actually either hold up their card in the video so that when they see the video, um, they know it's for them or I will write their name on a sticky note and hold it up to the um, camera. And it'll just be, you know, it's not a staged video. It's a very off the cuff as if they were sitting right here talking with me as a way to follow up. Um, And then I'm really clear about having one clear call to action or invitation to either set up a conversation to explore the possibility of working together or explore, you know, it sounded like you needed some help or resources around this. Do you want to set up 20 minutes just to chat and I'm happy to share? You know, and it, something like that. So that's the, the concrete one. And there are a couple other free platforms out there that you can um, send video. But I love making any way to make technology or mm. human or more personal, I am curious about. So that is one that I've loved and found that other people have also appreciated. Mm-hmm. 
I think the second um, overall mindset that I use in, in approaching people is recognizing not taking it personally when somebody doesn't reach out to you because they have their own world and also recognizing like sometimes I think we take ourselves personally by or take ourselves too seriously because we're like, Oh, like I don't want to send an email. Like they're busy. I don't want to burden them. I don't want to, they didn't answer my first email. I don't want to send them a second one. Um, and what I find is most of the time, like you're not the, you're not the center stage main character of their life. Oh, I have to totally interrupt you here, Chad, because Please. my mama told me something that I've been repeating a lot of times the last decade. When I was 12, and this was devastating news to hear when you're 12, she told me you are not the main character. Well, she actually said you're only the main character in your own play. That's what she said. You're only <laughs> the main character in your own play, which at 12, I think I like didn't get invited to a birthday party or something that like I they had told me about, but then I didn't get the invite. And it was like, devastating at 12 but it's kind of freeing as an adult to realize like the effort that has to happen you know to even get on someone's stage like your best friends stay on the stage with you but they didn't start out that way you know all of our best friends started out as strangers it's kind of a cool thing to realize um so yeah like what you're saying it's like yeah okay so I, no, <laughs> I, said yeah, that, I was like no one else has made that I, I, that reference before in front what's of your, what's your mom's name? You like copyright this now if I share this one. <laughs> Just so, say, Robbie's mom. <laughs> Robbie. So I got this from Robbie's mom that you are not the main character. You're only the main character. Only, in your own you're play. only the main character in your own play. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know, honestly, we could, we could stop it there. Like just like if you enter uh, following up and stay in touch with people with that mentality, then yeah. every time you connect with them or like hop into their play, it's like you're showing up to their play. And everybody loves to have people show up to their play, whether you're a feeder person or not. Um, you like to have uh, people that are there to support you and to say either literally or symbolically like, hey, you matter, you're significant, and I'm here because I'm not just going to, like this relationship just wasn't, we, I wasn't just excited in the elevator at the conference. I'm also still excited because something clicked within who you are and who I am and I'm following up um, no matter you know, what the intention of your follow-up is. So I've had um, a mix of people on this show and um, a small percentage are like you have some expertise in relationship building and networking and they come with like, like their own set of sort of practices that most people have something, but they just don't know how to name it because it just, it's not as clear, it's not as thought through. Um, and I'm just thinking of a few of them where there's like, um, you know, a, a conversation list that, um, that John has, um, or just like different things or like maybe dinners, like Dory does dinners. Like, mm. so what, um, what things like that are you doing? Like, do you, do you have like a, uh, on your daily planner, like a spot where you're going to reach out to five people that week or something or, mm. um, or a CRM that like reminds you, Oh, you haven't been in touch with this person in a while. Like, I think it's so hard when we particularly get past like, you know, a certain percent, like a certain number of people, like it's just hard to hold them all in your head if you're not seeing them regularly. Um, do you like host dinners when you're traveling, maybe for a conference or I don't know, what are, what are yeah. those other things you, that you don't even realize are things because you just do them so naturally? I want to name them a little bit because I think our listeners are going to like, be like, oh, I could probably like find a way to fit that into my life in some way. Yeah, sure. Um, a handful of things. So tactical, yeah, like, Yes, we use a CRM. There's no way that I could hold all these um, 
connections in my brain. And so the somebody, I don't remember who this was, but somebody gave me the language of, um, you know, outsourcing your brain to a, a trusted system. So that language um, for me, like it doesn't actually matter what it is. And I think the more that we search for like the, the magic bullet or like the perfect, like see all CRM stink. If you're searching for like the perfect one, all of them are like cumbersome and take time because it requires like your relationships don't magically appear into any of these CRMs. And so until that happens, um, you have to do something. And so it's, it's work to document the connections that you're having. Um, so we use HubSpot, but flip a coin. Um, the point is it's a way for me to organize those, uh, mm-hmm. those thoughts the of recent when i'm uh, traveling to a place i will there's a way through um mailchimp on our newsletter to send out location-based emails so everybody with a ip being really technical an ip address within you know, this uh Ooh, area clever so i was in san francisco sent an email to the few hundred people that were in within 10 miles of san francisco that were on our list and uh, said hey i'm having dinner at this place I'll happily eat alone or with one of you, whoever wants to show up can show up. And so that just uh, creates a uh, fun, like I'm going to be there anyway. Um, So Mm -hmm. building that into um, the flow of life. And then, um, and there's a bunch of services like boomerang or top of inbox or other things that for me, when I send an email, I never expect somebody to respond. And so, and that's just, that's not any fault of any person. It's just like, my trusted system is I always expect somebody won't respond. 90% of the times they do, but for the 10% that um, don't, that still really want to connect and, you know, they just happen to not be able to say me or say hi to me at their play because there was 300 other people in their inbox at their Mm -hmm, quote mm -hmm. metaphorical play. I don't know if we're mixing Mm -hmm. metaphors here. Um, Mm But I'm, you know, there's ways to say it. when I send an email, if nobody responds within 10 days, bring it back to the top of my inbox and uh, we'll message them again and just have a very quick, easy, like, Hey, just wanted to make sure you got this. And uh, I would say nearly a hundred percent of the time, um, the, I call it the double ping. Somebody responds to that double ping and they're super grateful that I reached out to them. I haven't had a single person yeah. um, say, Oh my gosh, stop bothering me. Block me. Like remove like. Because so they- I, I have uh, what I call um, a first nudge and occasionally, very occasionally, I have a second nudge. <laughs> um, my first nudge is sort of like, um, hey, Chad, um, sorry to email you again. Just want to make sure you saw my message because I, I want to know what your thoughts are about it below, the message below. Consider this no more than a friendly nudge, mm. something like that. And um, like you said, I'd say... Yeah, like 90 some odd percent will see that and respond. And if it's someone that I'm really trying to like follow up with and track, my other one is used so infrequently that I only just made it a canned response because like I would just re- write it. Um, it basically says something like, uh, polite persistence is an important quality when networking. <laughs> um, and I don't want to like miss the opportunity to blank with you, to interview you, to speak with you, to talk to you about this. Um, if this is not of interest, like, just let me know. And that gets usually a like profusely apologetic. Oh my God. How did that slip through firing that assistant (laughs) or whatever? I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, but, um, but I think I have to show that I really want to talk to them, that it is on me. If I think it's that important to, to keep showing up at their play, because 
they're busy people. Like, like basically yeah. the most important people I can think of are the busiest people I would be trying to reach. Like that's why they're important people. And who am I to expect that, you know, every message I send is going to get a neat response. I think it's smart of you to have systems to like follow up. Yeah. Or and if I can uh, channel the voice of Robbie's mom uh, to take that one step further, I think there's a way to show up to a play and say like, Hey, look, 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 I'm here. Do you see, I came to support you. And then there's a way to come and just really support them and be the loudest one to clap and like be in service of them and see like, Oh, it looks like they might need water and go find water and give it to them. And so when I send an email, I want to be the second, right? I want to be the ladder. I want to be the person. And so what I've learned is rather than, um, I've started to apologize less for, uh, or, or not at all. And to completely flip the framing and, um, frame this as, Hey, I'm here to be in service to you or useful Mm -hmm. to you. And so it's not about like, Hey, can I bug you for five minutes? It's about, Hey, uh, you want to take five minutes to chat because I think this can make you less stressed, less busy, more happy, whatever, you know, whatever that answer is for you. That's cool. So what's, uh, what's coming up for you? Like if we had a chance to connect a year from now and we're, we're toasting all of your accomplishments from the previous year, what are we going to be celebrating, Chad? <laughs> um, so I'm, the, you know, it's a, uh, odd thing. So I'll be in San Diego speaking at a conference that anybody can uh, come to. It's actually a conference for all of the directors of new student, student orientation, um, for all the universities in the um, U S so wow. I'll be keynoting at that. It's a NODA um, is the organization, N-O-D-A. So anybody's welcome to come to that, especially if you have a connection to um, university. And I'll be keynoting and then um, working with um, Janet Mock and a couple of the other keynotes to um, turn their content into an experience afterwards. So uh, they'll speak, they'll blow everybody's mind with some wisdoms. And then I will, you know, my one of my gifts or specialties, I guess, is taking content or ideas and popping them in one side of my head and popping them out the other as an experience that people can actually uh, feel and really remember and internalize. Um, So I'll be doing that with the other keynotes as well. Um, So that's one. Be in Dallas speaking at a conference that people can come to. Um, But there's all things are always um, coming up and cropping up. And like I said, if I'm in an area, I'll often just send out an email and say, hey, I'm here. Anybody want to grab dinner? Happy to or yeah. you're welcome to um, join. And so, yeah, like finding me on the uh, our website, weand.me, um, you can see what's coming up and um, follow some of that. That's cool. So what are the other ways people should follow you and find your work? So one, if you're like just curious, even when you hear Robbie talking about getting into an elevator and just having this magical gift of connecting with people, if you feel like you either want to amplify that gift or you want to channel Robbie. Um, so Robbie's got an awesome book out. So that's one thing to check out. And then um, our book, Ask Powerful Questions, Create Conversations That Matter. Will and I very much wrote as a, um, a guide to how do you build relationships of trust with people from all, a lot of the, um, it was from this work around world and conversation where we're having these really difficult um, conversations. And so much to our surprise, like we packaged this to be able to um, share with people because we really believed in the ideas and their impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a cool like uh, side bonus, it ended up becoming like taking off on Amazon and uh, become an Amazon bestseller and all this. And so that's nice. very easy to find there. Um, and then uh, if you go to weand.me slash ideas, 
Will and I got really frustrated at uh, one point with email, which I think everybody gets frustrated with um, at email. And so we took it on ourselves to say, could we create a, an interactive learning letter that would only bring value and have zero marketing? It would only like, and it would all be video based. Um, and so we did that. Um, and so we have this uh, thing called the we learning letter and so we we and dot me slash ideas and I'll drop in your inbox with a um, video with a tip on how to like kick off your next meeting or um, connect with an employee that's particularly challenging to you right now and a handful of other tips how to you know build a workplace culture that's comfortable for comfortable and connecting for introverts. And it sounds like uh, things are dropping by you. Um, well, I, I, so ironically, this is actually worth sharing. The thing that dropped is a giant ear, which we're kind of at the place now where <laughs> one of the places I always like to offer is, you know, really taking on that mentality of not being the expert. I'm also happy to just listen. So if people want to reach out and they're like, I heard this podcast uh-huh. and I just like have this like, ah, going on and I would love to just get another thought. I have this giant ear in my office because I the really, ear is the size of your torso. In case it, you really want to visualize this, yes, it, it's huge. It's very big. Um, and you have the We Connect cards. And if anyone's in Antarctica, is that the the one continent you're still looking? <laughs> That's the one continent where We Connects are not. So if you're going to Antarctica, shoot me an email at chat at uh, we and dot me, and I will ship you a free deck personally. Yeah, if you're listening or going to that continent. <laughs> Please be in touch with Chad. Help him get to all seven continents. <laughs> That's awesome. Chad, thank you so much for this really uh, meaningful conversation. Appreciate it. I would say we did create a conversation that mattered and eradicated small talk. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chad. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 114. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Chad, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when we'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.